0: However, if we turn around and look at what those same business owners wait, is wait. collectively.
1: This is obviously like not a margarita business or a lemonade stand because turning sour is actually good for them. Okay. I'm, I'm just, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. More jokes. Oh, please. Man. Please go ahead. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Did I just completely destroy your train? Once more under the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning again, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another second hour of The Personal Wealth Coach starring Jake and... Jeff McClure. McClure. i just, just saying that we're back and that's going to be exciting economic terms where we may say things like, uncorrelated asset classes affect the efficient frontier by making portfolio less volatile. Very exciting things like that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, this is the Personal Wealth Coach, as you said. And the Personal Wealth Coach is not only the name of a potentially sleepy radio program, it is also our podcast, as the case may be. And it is also the name of a registered investment advisory firm based in Salado, Texas, that is registered with the United States Securities and Exchange Commission, which neither implies, which implies in no way that they approve of our. Exi- well they approve of our existence but that's about as far as it goes i'm
1: not sure that they actually approve of our existence but they acknowledge our existence
0: they authorize us to exist
1: they they, they didn't unauthorize us right there that's that's that is the extent it's, if you've ever had a father figure relationship like that that would make sense i don't i actually get acknowledged pretty regularly because the other guy that's talking on here is my father huh yeah, see, well, that wasn't an acknowledgement. Oh, uh, yes, I, now I am your father. Now. Right. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. yes. I've been well, acknowledged. I slept last night. I've slept since. <laughs> so, uh, next disclosure is that. Um, let's, so, So, we're registered with the SEC to give investment advice. Investment advice is fiduciary, and we can't do that on the air because we don't know all of you, and it's not private if we did. So, this is an educational radio program. We're going to hopefully. Give you something that you didn't know before. That's uh, sometimes a high bar and sometimes not. It uh, depends on how well you know finance. So we'll do our best. Uh, so this is an educational program. We're not going to give investment advice. So you won't hear us talking about whether or not you should buy an individual security of some kind. Because as I've told many, many people, uh, a an excavator, a backhoe is... Maybe the best investment ever for the right person, and maybe the worst investment ever for almost everybody else. So that's that's my that, that's all I have to say about that. Uh, next disclosure, please.
0: We do not pay for this radio program, uh, nor are we paid by KTEM to do the radio program. And if you're listening to a podcast, that's an irrelevancy. Uh, we do advertise on KTEM for the radio program, but then KTEM also advertises on KTEM for the radio program.
1: You know, there's a lot of like dried up C's out there that are no longer C's. Those are r- irrelevant C's too. I just wanted you to know that. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. Okay. I'm you already say so. starting the bad puns. We're, we're on a roll. Ir-
0: irrelevant C's. Yeah. I could argue that with you, but we need to get the disclosures out. Yes.
1: Um, you want to say this last one. We did it in kind of a different order than usual, but if I do the next one, you're going to be frustrated for the rest of the day that you didn't get to no, say it. No, no. Yes, yes. So, so, so go ahead.
0: This is, as, as Jake said, this is an educational radio program and not investment advice. And on this educational radio program, we have obtained information that we're going to talk about. The information that we present has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable. However, we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information.
1: By the way, nobody requires us to give that disclosure except him. He really likes saying it. Um, there's, there's not a legal, the SEC doesn't tell us that we have to tell you that that we deem the information to be valid because they would assume that we would deem that so. <laughs> but he likes to not give warranties or guarantees about. Well, deem. Yes. And he likes to deem. So get your beam. deem. Go, go for it. Uh, well, I like to get my per
0: diem. The information we present on this educational radio and internet broadcast has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable. However, we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information.
1: And I deem that those warranties or guarantees that we don't give would be inaccurate if we had. I don't know.
0: You're getting too complex for me. My brain on a Saturday morning can't handle that. Right. We're not in a recession. We're not below 50. What's happened is the purchasing managers indexes across the United States, the various ones where we measure what companies are planning to buy, which indicates that they are expecting expansion or or contraction. You can look and see what the purchasing manager's indexes are saying. are up around 52, 53 right now. Anything above 50 indicates expansion or growth in the economy. Anything below 50 indicates that, that business owners are expecting a slowdown. Now, there's an interesting little side note here. The National Federation of Independent Businesses, did a survey and they have a large percentage of owners of individual businesses expect the economy is going to turn sour in the second half. However, if we turn around and look at what those same business owners wait, is wait. collectively.
1: This is obviously like not a margarita business or a lemonade stand because turning sour is actually good for them. Okay. I'm, I'm just, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. More bad that. Oh, please, please go ahead. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Did I just completely destroy your train? Business, well, I'll get, I'll is I think, pretty I, sour. Go, go, go back. The, the
0: business, if you if you survey them, they say, okay, we're going to see a slowdown in the second half. We've got a recession coming. Things are bad and getting worse. And yet, if you look at what they're doing with hiring, they're hiring anybody who can breathe, who can make it in the door, um, like they're expecting an expansion. And at the same time, their purchase managers. And when we say small businesses, we're not talking about a little mom and pop business. We're talking about People with hundreds of employees, uh, thousands of employees in some cases. The businesses are—they're—they're they're telling their purchases, purchase managers, we need to buy more stuff in the future than we're buying presently, because we expect more demand in the future than we have presently. That is a fascinating number and a fascinating thing that they're telling them, particularly in light of the fact that companies like Nike. And Walmart and Target, otherwise known as Target, are complaining that they have excess inventory. And if they have excess inventory, they're telling their purchasing managers slow down. As a matter of fact, if you probably look at the purchasing manager number from them, it'd be in the 40s. It'd be contraction. However, across the economy, we're seeing still business managers, business owners are saying, we will have growth into the future. Well, one thing I can want to tag onto this. There is, I think, a fairly high probability that in the second quarter we will see a negative GDP at this point. It was negative 1.6% in the first quarter. We'll probably have a negative GDP in the second quarter, which means that according to the GDP calculations that the labor, I think it's the labor department or commerce department does that all number, they will conclude that the gross domestic product of the United States shrunk when in fact it grew. This is pretty standard. What happens is, they look at inflation, they look at imports and exports, which are very inaccurate numbers, and they subtract the uh, the trade deficit, the amount we import over the amount we export from GDP numbers, which I personally believe is an invalid thing to do because some things that are not figured in there. They also look at inflation, and if, let's just say, our economy grew uh, 6%, in a quarter on an annualized basis, but inflation is running from a year earlier, 8.6%. That's a negative to the, 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 we effectively have a shrinking economy at that point as far as the Labor Department is concerned. Again, I don't think that's accurate because they're not measuring what's happening right now in this quarter. They're looking back a year ago to take a measurement against the other measurements they're taking that are just in this quarter. Both the, the Consumer Price Index And the GDP measurement are archaic. They're they're they're, which is a nice way of saying they're outdated. They're based on a time when people had big warehouses and they shipped things in ships, which is another word that we stick with that we shouldn't ship being things, putting them in ships. Um, The economy is far more dynamic and far faster moving today than those numbers can can pick up. But they want to maintain consistency, so they're maintaining consistency. The fact that we have two negative GDP quarters is not. A recession make. As a matter of fact, I seriously doubt that the uh, conference board, who are the official, more or less official arbitrators of when we have a recession, will come out and say we have a recession going. I don't
1: think they're going to do that. I think they're going to say, nope, we don't have a recession. Yeah, and and I will I will add to that. Let me let me commit this. What we've talked about this a lot in the last few weeks, the last few months, the definitions in finance don't have some kind of uh <laughs> authority that says this is the definition of a bear market or this is the definition of a bull market there's just kind of a loose consensus when it comes to a recession for some reason the loose consensus is trumped by the conference board which is not part of the government it's it's an institution and they're They've been the ones telling us whether or not we've been in a recession for a long time now. They originally had a very clear definition of what a recession was. Two quarters, back to back, with negative growth. The shrinkage in the GDP for two quarters in a row. That was always what they called a recession. Now, they didn't publish that anywhere. They didn't say, this is why we call it that. But everybody picked up, okay, we've had two quarters of shrinkage, that means we're in a recession. Come forward to the Great Recession. And for the first time, they said we're in a recession when that wasn't part of the picture. We had a quarter of shrinkage, followed by a quarter of growth, and they said we're in a recession. Followed by two quarters of shrinkage, by the way. So they were right. It's not like the Great Recession was called incorrectly. We look at the Great Recession and we can all agree that was not a fun recession. Whoever called it great was obviously not part of it. Uh, but it wasn't the standard definition, nor was the one in 2020, the pandemic recession. Did we have a recession? Ye- yeah, we had, we did. Everybody stopped working for a while. I mean, I remember clearly driving down the road on the way to the radio studio when we were in person at the radio studio. I went alone and the road was empty i-35 was empty i was the only car on it that's a recession even though it didn't last two quarters in fact it didn't even last the whole quarter but it was enough of a change that nobody in their right mind could have said that was anything but a recession so what's the definition of a recession now we're the first quarter of of 2022 we have shrinkage in the gdp But the economists know that the shrinkage in the GDP was really growth in the economy, but we were selling things out of inventory instead of making new stuff. We had warehouses, and we have been using warehouses for a while. We had this massive growth in the the fourth quarter of last year, and the shrinkage in the first quarter of this year. But when you look at the growth in the last quarter of buying up inventory, and kind of average that into the selling from inventory, it looks like growth. So the conference board is saying that GDP may be an archaic way of looking at a recession. It's even likely, you were saying this, that we'll see a second quarter of shrinkage. And I know the the proper terms in economics are contraction or negative growth, but come on, shrinkage is just a better way of talking about stuff. Shrinkage has ensued. Um, If we've got... Less overall growth in this quarter. Why would you think that we would have a shrinkage in GDP this quarter if we don't have a recession? And that's not a challenge. It's just why is it that you think that?
0: There's an article in the Wall Street Journal right now. As a matter of fact, initial jobless claims uh, declined to a seasonally adjusted 231,000 last week. Perfect. We have we have very low numbers of people getting laid off,
1: and Uh, and the conference board was really clear in 2020 when we had a recession that lasted one month, that the reason why they called it that was employment.
0: Uh-huh. It really, the United States economy is different than other economies. So you can't just throw some blanket, something out there. And the GDP is measured, as I said, in some very archaic ways. Uh, for instance, the cons- like the like cons- it's easy to see what's goofy about the consumer price index. Consumer price index, a big piece of it is the rental value of your house that you own. If that goes up, then the consumer price index has gone up. But you're not renting out your house.
1: And in fact... So
0: what effect does that have?
1: And this is this is an interesting factor. It's a negative on inflation right now, if you're looking at the CPI. Because rental rates haven't risen as fast as mortgage rates. And well, so the CPI is overinflated for weird reasons and underinflated in others. Anyway, go go back to what you were saying.
0: There, there's a... There's a big conundrum out there in this whole area. So for example, the consumer price index made headlines 8.6% year over year. However, if you go to the PCE, which is a far, far, far more accurate measure of the real inflation you're experiencing, the PCE index measures where you're at, first looks at where people are spending money. And so, if you're if if the average American is or the average household is spending twenty percent of its money on whatever, then it gets that whatever they were buying gets a twenty percent weight. So the PCE index, the core PCE index, which is the one that is critical, is up four point seven percent year over year. The consumer price index is up eight point six. Wow, there is a big difference between those two. And if you if you so, so the same thing is true with GDP. Um, uh, the fact that the GDP supposedly is shrinking for two quarters when we have record, un- record low unemployment, we have wage raises that are going forward. People are going on vacation at record rates. This so far this year, the vacation rate is skyrocketing. That is not indicative of a shrinking GDP for two quarters. Yeah. It's the artificial numbers that are thrown in there that are giving us the negative GDP.
1: Now, having said that, we're both in total agreement on this. There are parts of the economy that are no doubt about it in a recession right now. No doubt. Mm. If you're in the tech market right now, if you're employed in the tech world, you're sweating because the layoffs are coming. Uh, If you're building, if you're working for NVIDIA, as an example. So this is kind of a, a, a stretch into yep, something else. Yeah, I got you. The chips have been short. We haven't had enough chips to go around. So places like NVIDIA have been making a lot of money. Places, All the chip manufacturers have been making a lot of money. But NVIDIA has been like a poster child of it. A We are making a ton of money. And some of that chip shortage was because of the cryptocurrency boom. People wanting to mine cryptocurrency, the best way to do that is to get a computer to do it with. So there was a greater demand for a whole segment of stuff. NVIDIA is a video game, video card manufacturer. They have been doing this for decades for a niche market of people that want to run a lot of graphics on their computers so that they can play video games really well. Well, the niche market more than doubled And then more than doubled again in the last five years. Why? Because people are buying them to do crypto mining, which uses the same kind of memory as a video card is freely available to do the kinds of algorithms, to do the silly puzzles that cause the cryptocurrency to get cha-chinged to your virtual account. So there's this great demand for it. And then, right, and, and that's causing a shortage of chips for the car market and for everybody else that's trying to build something that includes chips. Right in the middle of what's happening right now, the crypto collapse is very real. It is crumbling around people. It's just painful to watch. Nvidia's price is dropping, massively dropping, because the demand for crypto mining is falling off. It wouldn't surprise me a bit to see Nvidia start to lay off staff at a time when there is a recognizable chip shortage a company that builds chips will be laying people off because their demand for chips was a different demand for chips than the car market's demand for chips and so on. So there are, there are absolutely parts of our economy that overexpanded and they overexpanded because there was easy money, really cheap loans, really cheap venture capital that allowed them to do a lot of things that weren't profitable. I read an article this week that had me laughing. Um, and it says, uh, the the outcome of, of the lack of cheap money is causing investors to be more concerned about profitability and whether or not the cl- company will actually exist in a few years than they were last year. Well, cheap money allowing people to buy stuff that they weren't sure that was going to exist in a, fe- a few years is probably good that that is being stopped this is why recessions can be really really good the the whole the quote you you give it very well in the voice of the person that actually said it but you don't know who's not wearing swimming trunks till the tide goes out and that's what a recession is good for to make sure that the company that you believe to be valuable because they have some model or methodology that's going to change the world, to make sure that they're actually changing the world instead of just dreaming about changing the world. That is vitally important, and in order to get that, you have to have some kind of strain in the economy to show whether or not dream is becoming reality or it's just always going to be a dream. The dot-com bubble is a great example of that. For the early internet years, if you had dot-com at the end of your company name, your price went up. It didn't matter if you could make money with whatever it was that you were trying to do. None of that stuff mattered. It was a new technology, so the dream is big and we've got such potential of profitability into the future, people will be buying their stuff online. That's never happened before. And then there are a lot of businesses that didn't have anything really good to sell, but they were online. And it took the market looking around and saying, no, I actually want profitability for my investment rather than just dreaming. That was the dot com busts, but a lot of big names came out of that dot-com bust and are still around. Amazon.com uh, went through that and they were kind of the crown jewel of the dot-coms at that point coming through it. They still are. So anytime we have a constriction in the economy, it it knocks out all the the, the hard, hard business ideas, the ones that aren't quite working. It also knocks out some good ones that are just got unlucky. That's that is truth across the board. Um, if you know, there's a great example right in the middle of Salado, Texas. We live in Salado. We work in Salado. We have a an, a national audience for our podcasts, and we have a national audience in our clients in Salado, Texas. There's a a, a restaurant and inn. That's been around since the 1850s, uh, Shady Villa. It was called the Stagecoach Inn, and it's just been completely revitalized. Uh, it was a, a a landmark for a long time. You know, Sam Houston gave speeches there, and so it's got a lot of history behind it. And it's been renovated in the inn section to allow a lot of uh, the return to this beautiful tourist destination that's been gone for a long time. And they completed the construction in February of 2020. Probably not the best time to be spending a lot of money on the hospitality industry when we're about to shut that down for about a year. They're still around. They made it. But Mm. we could see that it would be within the realm of reason for a good business to go under here.
0: I think somebody's feeding it a lot of money.
1: Yeah, and that's, that is necessary. If that cash was not available to keep it open, to keep it maintained, that business would have disappeared. So recessions aren't a, a panacea of getting rid of the deadwood. Sometimes you get rid of the live wood that's just too close to the deadwood. Uh, but you need to get rid of the deadwood or the whole forest goes down. And the longer you wait between recessions, the more the deadwood builds up. And you get things like Enron and Arthur Anderson. You get things that are just some kind of really gross, incestuous relationship that looks good on the outside. And when you really look at it, you go, whoa, no, I don't want that. Uh, that requires stress to the, to the cycle. It's not fun. None of us like recessions. But they happen, and they have to happen if they don't happen, we don't just have utopia forever. You get a bunch of scam artists that build up huge amounts of money and spend it without letting you know. And this is how we catch them. You also get good businesses that just forget what profitability even means and stop being good businesses. If the money's just coming in, whether you're profitable or not, why do you need to be profitable? So I know I'm kind of, ranting on this subject, kind of getting up on a soapbox. We don't think that we're in a recession right now. We think the the vast majority of the rest of the world is definitely in a recession right now. I would say Europe is in a recession right now. Well,
0: I think they're teetering on the edge. They still they also have record low unemployment right now in Europe.
1: Um
0: but I, I think they are right on the edge because I think people are hanging on to employees not because they expect business to get better suddenly, but because they had a hard time getting the employees, so there's a right. lag going
1: on right. here. And right. that, there could be a factor of that in our economy. A- any way you look at it two quarters in a row of shrinkage in the, in the GDP isn't us waving a flag saying, look how strong, how great we are. Well, Even though we are stronger and greater than other people right now, other places, it is still a, not the kind of growth that we had last year. No,
0: and we don't need the kind of, the kind of growth that we were having coming out of the recession is the kind of growth that produces inflation.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: There's two things that generated this inflation. One is a dramatic increase in demand. Why was there a dramatic increase in demand? The pandemic ended for us. It hasn't ended for the Chinese, by the way. Um
1: that and the caused other thing us thing all is, to go out and say, I want to do all the things that I couldn't do for yeah. the last year and a half.
0: The other thing, and this is a bit, and there are two other elements that that, that are in this, and and uh, Moody's gave them large percentages of the cause for inflation. One is obviously that the supply chain foul-ups out of China, which are still going on because China is still doing lockdowns, caused a shortage of stuff for us to buy when we came out of uh, the pandemic and we're ready to go buy things. Um, and and then you have the other side of that coin, which is Russia's invasion of Ukraine, which, according to Moody's, is the largest cause of it by far. Like 23% of the inflation number is caused by one thing, and that is Russia's invasion of Ukraine. There's a lot of everything from fuel to food uh, that comes out of Ukraine, and Russia is just not available. Uh, Russia has put blockades on Ukraine, not allowing them to export their food. And the food, the fuel coming out of Russia has been cut off. Well, they've intentionally cut it off in some cases because people wouldn't pay in rubles. And the other thing is, we're blockading them because they're using their sale of petroleum to the Western world to finance their invasion of Ukraine. All this is all healthy that we are cutting them off. But the price we pay for that is the fact that fuel prices go up, and as fuel prices go up and food prices go up, everything else goes up with it because everything. That you buy in the store was brought there by something burning fuel, unless somebody put it in their Tesla and drove it to the store, which is unlikely. Um, so, these and, things are all and functioning even,
1: together. even the Tesla got its power from something. Yes. Uh, and it was probably not nuclear. It may have been in Texas. It may have been wind or sun, but it was more likely natural gas. Right.
0: Although, you know, that was a question that came up. Is it really less expensive to drive an electric car? I think we had that a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, it is. it is. It is far, it is far, you've used far less fuel and far it, uh, it, less cost to drive an electric car.
1: There is a sticker price that's more on the front end. But if you look at repair and overhaul, uh, a lot of people point out that the batteries will need to be completely replaced at 10 years. And I point out that oftentimes so does an engine. And in the yes. mix, <laughs> so uh, and the cost of overhauling an engine versus the cost of the battery, the engine's more expensive. Uh, that is just unfortunate, but it's the truth. It's it, the internal combustion engine is a lot more complicated as far as individual break points, things that would break and cause it to have to be fully taken apart and replaced. There's just a lot more of it. So, you know, this is something uh, I I've heard some very educated arguments on the other side. Well, battery technology is just not there. I need to drive more than 260 miles or get stuck for two hours or three hours to recharge somewhere. That just doesn't make sense. That's a completely correct argument. And, and the answer to that is that Toyota and Mercedes and BMW and Tesla are all announcing solid state batteries which were, are anything from 200 to 500% more energy dense, which means the same car could go 520 miles. Uh, and those that have those bigger batteries and, and have a greater potential to drive can sometimes with these new batteries go more than 1,000 miles before a recharge. So the technology is there and we can see the science for the new technology coming is already there energy density is going to increase. And I'll tell you this flat out, it's true. Gasoline's energy density is 100 times more than lithium. However, we're only using 20% of it. We're losing 80% to heat, 20%. So now you're down to 20 times more energy dense and you start to lose a lot of that in other friction areas. So when it comes right down to actual energy, energy density right now, gasoline to power ratio energy density is about twice that of lithium. Solid state lithium is about to get rid of that completely. This is solid state lithium means it may be possible to use this stuff in airplanes, which just that was the, the killer here. When you're talking about energy density and so on, gasoline jet fuel there was no way you could replace that as far as weight to power ratio in in an airplane now we're not there with a jet engine yet we're not talking about jet engines but prop airplanes with newer battery technology the likelihood of new internal combustion prop planes being made in 20 years is very low that's 20 years away though the transition happens Slowly over that time period. There isn't a point in 20 years when somebody hits a switch and they just suddenly stop doing all internal combustion and start doing batteries. Over the next 20 years, we're gonna see that round over because the technology's here. And if you can do it cheaper and cleaner, you generally will do it, especially if the quality goes up at the same time. And anybody who's ever owned a prop plane knows that the price on the engine overhaul that has to happen every certain number of hours is extremely expensive, like as expensive as buying the whole new airplane again.
0: Pretty interesting article. Speaking of airplanes driven by prop engines, the only place that leaded gas is still legal to be used is in aviation fuel. And it was an interesting, the really interesting article was the biggest killer in the history of mankind. And I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but basically he's the guy who determined that tetraethyl lead mixed with gasoline will enable engines to produce more power. They do. So they just poured, they poured lead into fuel. That produces the lead came a out. lot
1: more power. It's really great. And it's better and on, the, those, on the engine. It's like, it's like a metal lubricant on the edges. Mm-hmm. It's really, really great for the engine. And it killed this some astonishing number of millions of people around the world.
0: And the only place that it's still legal to burn it in the United States is in prop engines. And, and there's really good reasons the propeller driven engines in small aircraft. And there's a really good reason for that because most of those, most of those aircraft are dated from the 1950s and
1: 60s at this point. Yeah. And, and newer uh, ones are built in the 1970s. There, there's some new ones being made, but that was really the boom in aviation.
0: The end result is if we could get some other means of, of driving propeller-driven aircraft, we would pull some lid out of the air, which would save some more lives, which I think is important anyway.
1: Yeah. So um, that's a minor point. And we're about out of time.
0: This is the Personal Wealth Coach with Jeff and Jake
1: McClure. Uh, if you would like to talk to us off the air, we actually give individually uh, individually crafted and customized advice based on what people are trying to achieve. That's generally and portfolio for, management and portfolio management. And that's generally for people with higher net worths, but we make exceptions occasionally. Um, and so you can contact us locally, voicemail available during the weekend, but actual real live people know phone tree during the week at 254
0: 947 1111.
1: You can reach that line tool free at 1 800 914 7526. That's 800 914 plan.
0: And I think it's important to note that we're an independent fiduciary firm. We don't work for a corporation. We only work for our clients. Right. Exactly.
1: Uh, You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. There's a contact form. You can use emails, Jeff or Jake at tpwc.com. There are uh, recordings of the radio program going back years, newsletters going back decades. uh, And you can find us wherever podcasts are given Um, Thank you very much for listening on a nice Saturday morning. And until next week, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach.